0: Travelcast B-Sides, episode 26, The Beast in the Cave, by H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft was born August 20th, 1890, and died March 15th, 1937. Although his readership was limited during his lifetime, his reputation has grown vastly over the decades, and he's now regarded as one of the most influential horror writers of the 20th century. The Beast in the Cave was first published in the amateur press journal Vagrant and was one of Lovecraft's first ever stories, written when he was only 14. So without further ado, we bring you The Beast in the Cave by H.P. Lovecraft. The horrible conclusion, which had been gradually intruding itself upon my confused and reluctant mind, was now an awful certainty. I was lost, completely, hopelessly lost, in the vast and labyrinthine recess of the mammoth cave. Turn as I might, in no direction could my straining vision seize on any object capable of serving as a guidepost to set me on the outward path that nevermore should i behold the blessed light of day or scan the pleasant bills and dales of the beautiful world outside my reason could no longer entertain the slightest unbelief hope had departed Yet, indoctrined as I was by a life of philosophical study, I derived no small measure of satisfaction from my unimpassioned demeanor. For although I had frequently read of the wild frenzies into which were thrown the victims of similar situations, I experienced none of these, but stood quiet as soon as I clearly realized the loss of my bearings. Nor did the thought that I had probably wandered beyond the utmost limits of an ordinary search cause me to abandon my composure even for a moment. If I must die, I reflected, then was this terrible yet majestic cavern as welcome a sepulchre as that which any churchyard might afford, a conception which carried with it more tranquility than of despair. Starving would prove my ultimate fate, of this I was certain. Some I knew had gone mad under circumstances such as these, but I felt that this end would not be mine. My disaster was the result of no fault of my own, since, unknown to the guide, I had separated myself from the regular party of sightseers and, wandering for over an hour in forbidden avenues of the cave, had found myself unable to retrace the devious windings which I had pursued since forsaking my companions. Already my torch had begun to expire. Soon I would be enveloped by the total and almost palpable blackness of the bowels of the earth. As I stood in the waning, unsteady light, I idly wondered over the exact circumstances of my coming end. I remembered the accounts which I had heard of the colony of consumptives who, taking their residence in this gigantic grotto to find health from the apparently salubrious air of the underground world with its steady uniform temperature and peaceful quiet, had found instead death in strange and ghastly form. I had seen the sad remains of their ill-made cottages as I passed them by with the party, and had wondered what unnatural influence a long sojourn in this immense, silent cavern would exert upon one as healthy and vigorous as I. Now I grimly told myself my opportunity for settling this point had arrived, provided that want of food should not bring me too speedy a departure from life. As the last fitful rays of my torch faded into obscurity, I resolved to leave no stone unturned, no possible means of escape neglected. So, summoning all the powers possessed by my lungs, I set up a series of loud shoutings in the vain hope of attracting the attention of the guide by my clamor. Yet, as I called, I believed in my heart that my cries were to no purpose, and that my voice, magnified and reflected by the numberless ramparts of the black maze about me, fell upon no ears save my own. All at once, however, my attention was fixed with a start as I fancied that I heard the sound of soft approaching steps on the rocky floor of the cavern was my deliverance about to be accomplished so soon had then all of my horrible apprehensions been for naught and was the guide having marked my unwarranted absence from the party following my course and seeking me out in this limestone labyrinth Whilst these joyful queries arose in my brain, I was on the point of renewing my cries in order that my discovery might come the sooner, when in an instant my delight was turned to horror as I listened. For my ever acute ear, now sharpened in even greater degree by the complete silence of the cave, bore to my benumbed understanding the unexpected and dreadful knowledge that those footfalls were not like those of any mortal man. In the unearthly stillness of this subterranean region, the tread of the booted guide would have sounded like a series of sharp and incisive blows. These impacts were soft and stealthy, as of the paws of some feline. Besides, when I listened carefully, I seemed to trace the falls of four instead of two feet. I was now convinced that I had by my own cries aroused and attracted some wild beast, perhaps a mountain lion, which had accidentally strayed within the cave. Perhaps I considered the Almighty had chosen for me a swifter and more merciful death than that of hunger. Yet the instinct for self-preservation, never wholly dormant, was stirred in my breast, and though escape from the oncoming peril might but spare me for a sterner, and more lingering end, I determined, nevertheless, to part with my life at as high a price as I could command. Strange as it may seem, my mind conceived of no intent on the part of the visitor, save that of hostility. Accordingly, I became very quiet in the hope that the unknown beast would, in the absence of a guiding sound, lose its direction, as had I, and thus pass me by. But this hope was not destined for realization, for the strange footfalls steadily advanced, the animal evidently having obtained my scent, which, in an atmosphere so absolutely free from all distracting influences as that of a cave, could doubtless be followed at great distance. Seeing, therefore, that I must be armed for defense against an uncanny and unseen attack in the dark, I groped about me the largest of the fragments of rock which were strewn upon all the parts of the floor, and grasping one in each hand for immediate use, awaited with resignation the inevitable result. Meanwhile, the hideous pattering of the paws drew near. Certainly, the conduct of the creature was exceedingly strange. Most of the time, the tread seemed to be that of a quadruped walking with a singular lack of unison betwixt hind and four feet. Yet, at brief and infrequent intervals, I fancied that but two feet were engaged in the process of locomotion. I wondered what species of animal was to confront me. It must, I thought, be some unfortunate beast who had paid for its curiosity to investigate one of the entrances of the fearful grotto with a lifelong confinement in its interminable recesses. I occupied my terrible vigil with grotesque conjectures of what alteration cave life might have wrought in the physical structure of the beast, remembering the awful appearances ascribed by local tradition to the consumptives who had died after long residence in the cave. Then I remembered with a start that even should I succeed in felling my antagonist, I should never behold its form, as my torch had long since been extinct, and I was entirely unprovided with matches. The tension on my brain now became frightful. My disordered fancy conjured up hideous and fearsome shapes from the sinister darkness that surrounded me, and that actually seemed to press upon my body. Nearer, nearer the dreadful footfalls approached. It seemed that I must give vent to a piercing scream, yet had I been sufficiently irresolute to attempt such a thing, my voice could scarce have responded. I was petrified, rooted to the spot. I doubted if my right arm would allow me to hurl its missile at the oncoming thing when the crucial moment should arrive. Now, the steady pat-pat of the steps was close at hand. Now, very close. I could hear the labored breathing of the animal, which, terror-struck as I was, I realized that it must have come from a considerable distance and was correspondingly fatigued. Suddenly, The spell broke. My right hand, guided by my ever-trustworthy sense of hearing, threw with full force the sharp-angled bit of limestone. Toward that point in the darkness from which emanated the breathing and pattering, and wonderful to relate, it nearly reached its goal. For I heard the thing jump, landing at a distance away, where it seemed to pause. Having readjusted my aim, I discharged my second missile, this time most effectively, for with a flood of joy I listened as the creature fell in what sounded like a complete collapse, evidently remaining prone and unmoving. Almost overpowered by the great relief which rushed over me, I reeled back against the wall. The breathing continued in heavy, gasping inhalations and expirations whence I realized I had no more than wounded the creature and now all desire to examine the thing ceased. At last, something allied to groundless superstitious fear had entered my brain, and I did not approach the body, nor did I continue to cast stones at it to complete the extinction of its life. Instead, I ran at full speed in what was as nearly as I could estimate in my frenzied condition the direction from which I had come. Suddenly, I heard a sound, or rather, a regular succession of sounds. In another instant, they had resolved themselves into a series of sharp, metallic clicks. This time, there was no doubt of it. It was the guide. And then I shouted, yelled, screamed, even shrieked with joy as I beheld in the vaulted arches above the faint and glimmering effulgence which I knew to be the reflected light of the approaching torch. I ran to meet the flare, and before I could completely understand what had occurred, was lying upon the ground at the feet of the guide, embracing his boots and gibbering. The guide had noted my absence upon the arrival of the party at the entrance of the cave and had, from his own intuitive sense of direction, proceeded to make a thorough canvas of by-passages just ahead of where we'd last spoken, locating my whereabouts after a quest of about four hours. By the time he had related this to me, I, emboldened by his torch and his company, began to reflect upon the strange beast which I had wounded but a short distance back in the darkness, and suggested that we ascertain, by the flashlight's aid, what manner of creature was my victim. Accordingly, I retraced my steps, this time with a courage born of companionship, to the scene of my terrible experience. Soon we descried a white object upon the floor, an object whiter even than the gleaming limestone itself. Cautiously advancing, we gave vent to a simultaneous ejaculation of wonderment, for all of the unnatural monsters either of us had in our lifetimes beheld. This was, in surpassing degree, the strangest. It appeared to be an anthropoid ape of large proportions, escaped perhaps from some itinerant menagerie. Its hair was snow-white, a thing due, no doubt, to the bleaching action of the long existence within the inky confines of the cave. The face was turning away from us as the creature lay almost directly upon it. The inclination of the limbs was very singular, explaining, however, the alteration in which their use had been before noted, whereby the beast used sometimes all four, and on other occasion but two for its progress. From the tips of the fingers or toes, long rat-like claws extended. The hands or feet were not prehensile, a fact that I ascribed to that long residence in the cave, which, as I before mentioned, seemed evident from the all-pervading and almost unearthly whiteness so characteristic to the whole anatomy. No tail seemed to be present. The respiration had now grown very feeble, and the guide had drawn his pistol with an evident intent of dispatching the creature, when a sudden sound emitted by the latter caused the weapon to fall unused. The sound was of a nature difficult to describe. It was not like the normal note of any known species of simian, and I wondered if this unnatural quality were not the result of a long continued and complete silence broken by the sensations produced by the advent of the light, a thing which the beast could not have seen since its first entrance into the cave. The sound which I might feebly attempt to classify as a kind of deep tone chattering, was faintly continued. All at once, a fleeting spasm of energy seemed to pass through the frame of the beast. The paws went through a convulsive motion, the limbs contracted. With a jerk, the white body rolled over so that its face was turned in our direction. For a moment, I was so struck with horror at the eyes thus revealed that I noted nothing else. They were black, those eyes, deep jetty black in hideous contrast to the snow white hair and flesh. Like those of other cave denizens, they were deeply sunken in their orbits and were entirely destitute of iris. As I looked more closely, I saw that they were set in a face less prognathous than that of our average ape and infinitely less hairy. The nose was quite distinct As we gazed upon the uncanny sight presented to our vision, the thick lips opened and several sounds issued from them, after which the thing relaxed in death. The guide clutched my coat sleeve and trembled so violently that the light shook fitfully, casting weird moving shadows on the walls. I made no motion, but stood rigidly still, my horrified eyes fixed upon the floor ahead. The fear left, and wonder, awe, compassion, and reverence succeeded in its place. For the sounds uttered by the stricken figure that lay stretched out on the limestone had told us the awesome truth. The creature I had killed, the strange beast of the unfathomed cave, was or had at one time been a man.